good morning, good morning. It is so good to be with you today. My name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors on the team. Hey, I want to encourage you to grab your notes out of your handout, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we'll be spending a lot of time in Daniel. And we are wrapping up a series today called You're Stronger Than You Think. That's been the running theme, the, the messages over this last month have been, we've looked at Gideon, we've looked at Jonathan, we've looked at David, now we're looking at Daniel. And the truth that we're pulling out of all of these scriptures is that you are stronger than you think. No matter what circumstances you might be facing, because of the Lord God Almighty with you, you're stronger than you think. And, and sort of the visual analogy that I want to give you is the visual of an egg in a vice grip, okay? And this egg in a vice grip, is, some of you are, you're, you're like, oh yeah, that's where I am. Somebody's just cranking the vice right now, and I'm getting squeezed, I'm getting pressured, I'm getting pinched. That's how you feel. But the interesting thing about an egg, some of you already know this, is that an egg is one of the strongest forms we find in nature. Now, you think about an egg, you probably think, oh, it's so delicate, it's so fragile, it's, it's breakable easily, right? That's how we think, because if you throw it down, that's what's going to happen. But if you were to take an egg and you were to squeeze it, uh, assuming that you didn't have a ring on your finger, right, and something to just puncture it, but if you were just to squeeze it, you could try this at home later today, take a raw egg, um, if you were to squeeze it, the chances are 99 out of 100 that as much as you would squeeze that egg, you would be unable to break it. Now, if you do break it, a couple things. Number one, you're probably wearing a ring on that finger, and you forgot that I said don't wear a ring. Or number two, you're just really awesome. Uh, so that could happen as well. But if you squeeze an egg, it won't break. Here's why. Because of its shape. Because of its shape, you put pressure on an egg, and because of its dome shape, its arced shape, it diffuses the pressure all the way around. And so architects throughout the years have looked at the egg and seen how incredibly and surprisingly strong it is. And so they use that for forms of architecture. For example, things like flying buttresses and arches, right? And these are all inspired, yes, by the egg. Okay, stronger than you thought, is it not? And the same is true for you. The same is true for Daniel. And so we're going to get into his story. Turns out he's stronger than he thought. And the key to Daniel's strength is perseverance. And so the, the message today is called Persevere Like Daniel. We're just going to jump in in verse 3. It says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now, if you don't know the, the background of Daniel, you need to know that when he was a younger man, Israel was conquered by Babylon. He was shipped off as a slave into this foreign court, and he served this, this foreign king for the course of his life. But what the scripture says is as he was serving this foreign king, he brought the very best that he knew how to bring. He excelled. He, he brought the highest level of his own capabilities. And because of that, because of that good, solid work ethic, it says that the king decided to put the entire empire under Daniel's command. It's pretty awesome. What I want you to see is that this, this verse, not only in this verse, but many places in Scripture, you find that God, he, he loves, he encourages, he delights in a good work ethic. 
Right? The Bible talks about this, that, that when we come to work, we're to work as if we're working for God himself. That we're to bring the very best we know how to bring. We're to bring our excellence. We're, we're to, to work and to operate at the highest level of our capacity and to seek how we can increase that capacity. In fact, in another place in Scripture, in Proverbs, it says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. What this means is just one more example of, of the Scripture saying that the Lord recognizes and values a great work ethic and productivity. And, and this is true for all sorts of fields we see it happening in Daniel. Daniel excels in his work, and the king is ready to hand him the keys to the kingdom. Okay, uh, next verse. It says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. So friends, if you do excel in your work and you see success being offered to you, you're operating under the favor of God and you're advancing up a career ladder, do not be surprised if an attack comes against you. Now, I say this not because I want you to live fearful, not at all, live courageous, but I just don't want you to be surprised because when others see that you're advancing, when others see that you're enjoying the kind of success that they wish they were enjoying, um, oftentimes they will be the ones to come against you. Do not be disheartened. If that happens, just know that you're in good company. It happens to all kinds of great people in the scriptures. And also, I just want to encourage you just to keep your nose clean and to keep on keeping on, okay? So the next verse, it says this. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. So they looked through Daniel's life, and they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. I think that's worth circling in your Bible. I think that's worth memorizing. And certainly, I think that's worth emulating in your life. If someone were to probe into your life and sort of uh, peer around and see where it is that you spend your time and how it is that you're spending your money and how much time are you wasting on Facebook with Angry Birds, Pinterest, whatever. You know, they're looking all sorts of ways in your life. Somebody hires a private detective to tell you, see where it is that you go after hours. Like, if somebody's peering into your life, could they find anything to criticize or condemn? That's a good question. Right? So it's a good question and talking about how it is that we steward this time. How, how do we steward who it is that we are in the Lord? I know a couple of different guys in this last season of their life, totally different fields, totally different work environments, but they have enjoyed success in, in their workplaces. And in this last season of life, these two different guys, totally unrelated, um, others in their workplace who have not enjoyed the success that they have, have started to murmur against them. And just started to, to bring even gossip against them. And these, this gossip has sort of made its way around their work environments. And so both of these guys, godly men, are, um, have been brought sort of under investigation in their respective workplaces. And they both told me how humbling it is. And how difficult it is when that kind of a reality is going on. How humbling it is to have your emails combed. How humbling it is to have, you know, uh, other people interviewed about you to talk about what your contribution is to the team and all this. And, and yet both of them, as they've gone through these investigations, have been found blameless, 
excellence was all that was discovered when they were probed, when they were analyzed. And it's a great reminder, right, that, that you and I, we have this opportunity, how it is that we steward our lives, how is it that we steward our, our workplaces, how is it that we steward our homes, etc. And friends, this is what Coach John Wooden calls the difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what people think of you from a distance, but character is what you reveal to people up close. And that's what we see in Daniel. These, these guys, these officers, these administrators, they want to take Daniel down, so they start probing into his life. They know his reputation. Oh, yeah, he's, the reputation is Daniel's an upright guy, but let's get in behind the veil. Let's see what his character is really like. And this is what the scripture says. He was faithful always responsible, and completely trustworthy. That's awesome. That's so great. He's always filled with faith, faithful in his character, faithful in his relationship with the Lord. He's always responsible to the tasks that are entrusted to him, and he's trustworthy to the king. This had to be a bite to the other administrators and officers who are trying to take him down. They, they probe into his life. They do the investigation. They come back. They go, <laughs> you know what? The king's right to trust Daniel. He's, he's, he's really trustworthy. He's responsible. He's faithful. You know what? I'd give him my PIN number. I, I'd, I'd let him have the keys to my vacation rental property. Like I, I, He's trustworthy. The king's right to give the empire over to Daniel. That's all they find. His character is impeccable. And so I just would issue that as sort of a personal challenge, right? Take a personal inventory. What is the reputation that you have in your workplace? What's the reputation in your community, in your neighborhood? What's that reputation? But then go one step closer. What is the character? What do the people that are closest to you see? When you, when you let your closest friends behind the veil, right? When you let your, your spouse behind the veil, your kids maybe in your home, what is it that they see about you? What is it that they know about your character? And is it what you want them to know? Or does something need to change? Right? So that's very, very personal, right? We, we say, oh, what is my character? Not just my reputation, but what's going on in here. So the guys look at every area of Daniel's life. They say, oh my gosh, if I were king, I'd be asking him to run the country too. Uh, and so this is what it says in verse five. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Okay. Now it's interesting because they knew that Daniel served the one true God. But the Bible doesn't say that they were experts in the rules of Daniel's religion. What were they experts in? In how Daniel was living his life. They had, they had observed Daniel's habits, and they had seen that he was faithful and tenacious and persevering in the way that he worshiped God first and foremost. And so it was in that area that they were going to trip him up. And it's interesting, just kind of, again, let's make this reflexive in our own lives. I remember growing up, a speaker challenging me once with this question. If being a Jesus follower were illegal, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? It's a great question. Totally scared. I was like, oh. That's when I started journaling. At least I'm going to leave a paper trail, right? You know, like. 
No, you, you, you want there to be evidence in your life that, yeah, th this is a big deal. I worship first. Christ is the one that I go after. He's the one that I care about. I, yes, I pray. Yes, I worship. Yes, I, I try to love like Jesus, right? You, you want that evidence sort of strewn across your life, and that's what Daniel had left behind. Okay, verse 6. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. I want you to see that they, they lobbed this softball right at the king's ego. He just surrounded with a bunch of guys, right? All these different men of title, the nobility of his nation, and they're all just feeding his ego. Oh, you're so great, king. You're deity around here. If only there was some way that we could make sure everyone in the whole empire gives you the honor and the respect that you're due. Oh, wait a minute. There is a way. Let's make a law that the only person that anyone in the whole empire can pray to is you. That will just show how great you are. And the king's like, well, I am godlike. So, okay, you know, and he signs the thing, right? Even good kings can sign bad laws. That's what happens here. Verse 10 but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he organized a protest. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he ran away. No, it doesn't say that. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done. You could circle that phrase. Giving thanks to his God. The, the, the two words in that verse that just jump right off the page of me are giving thanks. That on the day he realizes that his faith has become illegal, he's still offering praise and thanks to the Lord. But that just as he had always done, that's what I want to focus on for a few moments. Just as he had always done. This is the perseverance part. This is the steadfastness part. This is the keep on, keeping on part. This is Daniel doing what Daniel had always been doing. Um, you know, he gets caught because the officers go to the house and they find Daniel praying. And the reason why they find him praying is why? Because he had always done what he's doing now. He had always prayed three times a day. They knew exactly where to find him, exactly when to find him, because he was doing what he had always done. Question, how old is Daniel? Most scholars think that Daniel was in his 80s at this time. Now, remember, he'd been taken from Israel as a teenager. He had lived his entire life in captivity, serving a foreign king, serving a foreign government who worshiped foreign gods. You can imagine that there was all kinds of time when Daniel was not very thrilled to be doing what he was doing. He certainly wasn't a fan of his government's um, keep captives forever law. And yet we don't see any indication in scripture that he ever gave the king anything but his best, 
We don't see any indication in Scripture that he ever stopped worshiping God first, that he stopped being faithful. He just kept on keeping on. Friends, I I want you to see how powerful that is day in and day out, whether he felt like praising God or didn't feel like praising God, whether the foreign king was making good decisions or bad decisions. Whatever was going on in Daniel's scenario, Daniel came and he gave God his worship and he gave the king his best. Day in and day out. That's perseverance. I was recently reminded of um, a great baseball player named Cal Ripken Jr. His nickname was the Iron Man. And uh, the Iron Man as in the race, the Iron Man, because of his longevity. And uh, he played for 20 years for one team, the Baltimore Orioles, 19-time All-Star. You can see the stats on the screen uh, behind me here. He, um, he was a member of the 3,000 Hit Club. He holds the record for the most home runs by a shortstop. There's just so many things about this uh, baseball player that are amazing. But Cal Ripken Jr. is best known for one statistic, and that was that he broke Lou Gehrig's record for consecutive games played, a record that stood for 56 years and was deemed unbreakable. I don't know how long... Cal Ripken Jr.'s record is going to last. It's going to last for a long, long time. He surpassed Gehrig's mark on September 6, 1995, when he played his 2,131st consecutive game. I just want to emphasize consecutive. 2,131 games without a break. And on that day, the, the, uh, how Major League Baseball works is at the seventh inning stretch, a game is recorded as official. And so at the seventh inning stretch of that game, everyone knew that he had broken Lou Gehrig's record, and the standing ovation began. And uh, Cal Ripken came out, and he waved his cap to the crowd, and the standing ovation continued. And a, a minute or so later, he came out, waved his cap again. Everyone's going nuts, and that happened four times. Seven minutes later, the standing ovation is at a peak And so his teammates kind of force him out of the dugout. He's a shy, unassuming, he's a very humble player. And they they kind of force him out. They encourage him to take a victory lap around the field. And so he starts jogging around the field. And and he's shaking hands with the fans, with the umps on the field, the ball boy. All the pitchers come out from both teams. As he comes around to the other dugout, the entire other dugout clears. They all shake his hand. They all applaud him. Everyone's going nuts. The standing ovation lasts for 22 minutes. Now, friends, let's be honest. Baseball is a boring sport. (laughs) My buddy up front goes, amen, amen. (laughs) But I want to tell you, if you get misty about sports moments, you can YouTube that, and, and it'll tear you up. Think about this. 2,131 games. Do you know Cal Ripken played with the flu? He played with colds. He played with sinus infections. He played with hemorrhoids. He played (laughs) with sore muscles. Cal Ripken showed up at the clubhouse when he felt like playing baseball and when he didn't feel like playing baseball. He came day in and day out. He always gave his best. Some games were better and some games weren't so good. But he kept on keeping on. Now, you know, the thing about perseverance, it's like a superpower that nobody sees. It's a superpower that each and every one of us can have, but it is so rare.
because not many of us want it. And the reason why that moment, that 22-minute ovation is powerful is because finally the whole world is applauding Cal Ripken Jr. for his sheer stick-to-it-ness. And that's what we see in Daniel's life. He just stuck to it. He just kept showing up. He just kept doing what he always did. He kept worshiping first. He kept loving God. He kept faithful in his task that the king had given him. He just kept showing up. Friends, that's what you and I can do. That's where every one of us can be challenged. No matter what's going on, I'm going to follow Jesus. No matter what's going on, I'm going to worship first. No matter what's happening in the world, I'm going to love outlandishly. No matter how I feel, I'm going to keep showing up for my family. I'm going to continue to take the high road. I'm going to keep fighting for my marriage. No matter what's going on, I'm going to strive to be the man or the woman that God has called me to be. Friends, that is the challenge. It reminds me of Paul so much. In the New Testament, almost the example like Daniel in the Old Testament, Paul, he just kept going no matter what was happening in his life, no matter what trials were thrown at him. He just kept pointing people to Jesus. He kept preaching the word. He kept going after what God had called him to go after. And, and so we read verses like this where Paul talks about the, the list of things that he was coming up against in 2 Corinthians 6, 5. We've been beaten been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, gone without food. And he just persevered. He just kept going. You want to read a whole list, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and following. He keeps going. He says, we have been shipwrecked, and I've been, uh, I've been snake bit, and, and we've been stoned, not in the fun, now it's legal in marijuana, in Washington kind of a way, but like seriously stoned with rocks, you know, and we just keep loving Jesus, and we just keep pointing people to Jesus, we just keep going after Jesus, right? That is what Paul's doing, and I just want to say for you and for me in our lives, don't give up, don't throw in the towel. Keep doing the right thing, even when you don't feel like doing the right thing. When all you feel like doing is the wrong thing, don't do that. Do the right thing. Persevere. Keep loving when it's hard. Keep serving Jesus. Keep being generous. Keep striving towards purity. Continue in your kindness. Keep with compassion. Strive towards health in all your relationships. And there's a couple of things about perseverance, which you already know, so I'll just mention briefly. The first is this. When you persevere now through the trial that you face that is little, it will prepare you to persevere in the future when the trial that you face is large. The more you persevere right now, the more it prepares you for persevering in the future. Now, the converse is also true. If you do not persevere now when the trial is small, it prepares you to not persevere in the future when the trial is large. So right now, you and I, we have the opportunity to create the trajectory that we're going to be on. Persevering now will prepare us to persevere in the future. Story of my buddy Greg, he was, he was 10 years old. His parents were having him uh, take drum lessons, and he wasn't super thrilled about drum lessons, but he didn't have the courage to tell his parents. And so he thought, well, i, I got to have this conversation with them, but I just I don't, and, you know, they just keep wanting me to practice, so I'll just keep practicing. And then it's Christmas, and he comes downstairs on Christmas morning, and his parents were so excited because they had totally splurged, gone way over budget, and bought him a $900 drum kit. And now he felt guilty. He was self-aware enough as a 10-year-old boy to feel guilty 
that he hadn't told his parents that he was gonna quit drums and now he has this huge drum kit. And so he thought, well, I'll, just, I'll play for a little while, a couple months maybe, and then I'll tell him and, and we'll sell it on eBay or whatever. And so he starts playing the drums and then he gets, he gets an instructor who became like a second dad in his life and, and he kept with it. That was about 30 years ago. He told me this week, he said, Mike, I, I come alive when I play drums. He's been in a band for most of his life. He does studio work. He leads worship. He said, I love to drum. I feel like God shows me his delight when I'm at the drum kit. I just want to say this. It's so funny to me because he felt like giving it up, but instead he kept it up, and it became a true delight in his life. Do you know that people often regret not persevering, but they rarely regret persevering? Say that again. People often regret when they fail to persevere, right? You hear people say things like, oh, I wish I would have kept playing the piano, right? Anybody ever say that? Oh, I wish I would have kept with that instrument my parents were making me play, right? Oh, I, I wish I would have kept studying French. It would have been so helpful. You know, like something like that. Maybe not French, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you, you, see, you see what I mean? People, people regret. They, they'll say things like, oh, I was good at that when I was young, but I quit. And now I'm not. I, I used to be a black belt, and now, you know, I can't even catch a fly with chopsticks, right? Like, like it's, they regret it. But you know what they don't say? They don't, they don't say, oh, I regret persevering. Oh, I'm so bummed I finished college. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Oh, I'm so sad I, I completed that book I was writing. You know, like, nobody ever says that. Nobody laments persevering. Not in life, but, but certainly never in faith. Yeah, I've, I've been in ministry for 22 years. Do you know what I've never heard? I've never heard someone say, I'm so glad I stopped praying for my son. No one ever says, oh, I'm so glad I gave up on the Lord. No one ever says, oh, I'm just so glad I threw in the towel and just let my base instincts take over. No one. Why? Because we are made to persevere. And when we persevere, it connects, the Lord, or it connects us to the Lord's prosperity. We're able to prosper as we persevere. That's what we're going to see in Daniel's life. I just want to challenge you, right? What is it? What's that thing in your life that you're tempted to give up, that you're tempted to walk away from, but God wants you to persevere through? Let's keep going. It says, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asked for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. You know, the king's got to be thinking, you know, it's so funny that you asked me if I remember that law because you wrote that law for me, remember? Um, and then you held the scroll when I signed it. Do you remember that? And that was yesterday. <laughs> so... I do remember that law. And then they, they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this, this predicament. 
In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Now I want you to see from this how God is already at work in that king's life. Do you see this? He absolutely realizes that he's been betrayed by his officers. He totally understands that by his own hand, he has persecuted the one most trustworthy, most honest, most responsible servant he's ever had. The one that he wanted to give the keys to the kingdom to, he's now been betrayed by his officers to throw into a lion's den, and he feels helpless to do anything about it. So all night, all day, he's in anguish wrestling with the law. All night, he's in anguish wrestling with sleeplessness. He's the one who runs down to the lion's den first thing in the morning, rips off the seal, removes the stone, and yells, Daniel, was your God able to rescue you? And Daniel replies. He says, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty, right? He says, I serve the Lord faithfully, and it was he who shut the mouths of the lions. But king, I am also innocent in your sight as well. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Now, friends, I always, every time I read the scripture, I always try to, just prayerfully, I try to see, God, what is it that you want us to apply in our lives from this passage? Where is the application? How can I, how can I take this and make it apply to, to, to our lives as, as a, a family of God here in Redmond, Washington? Certainly we see that in this scenario, God shut the lion's mouth and Daniel was unharmed. So I know that there is a literal application as well, but I hope that it's not only a literal application. Because if it's only a literal application, in other words, um, the next time you're thrown into a lion's den and you've been innocent, those lions will not harm you because God will shut their mouths when you're in their den. That, that's not very applicable to our lives because <laughs> there are no dens of lions around. You know what I'm saying? I Maybe mean, if you're a zoo worker and I don't know. But I, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's hard to get a literal application out of this. But I believe that the Bible gives us insight that it's actually much more deeper, more universal. In fact, in Psalm 91, there's, there's a passage many of you are familiar with. It talks about lions and serpents. It says, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. And again, I, I can talk about literal examples of this happening in the scripture. Obviously, Daniel survives the lion's den. Paul survives a poisonous snake by 
But, but I would say that to say that the literal application is the only application really limits Scripture. That God actually has a much deeper and personal application for each of us, and that's this. That when you are a follower of the Most High God, when you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your life and you walk under his protection and the favor of his grace, you need to understand that there is a lion and there is a viper that will come against you. Uh, when, when the enemy of God first shows up on the scene, he appears as a what? As a serpent. In the New Testament, it says that there is um, the enemy, he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, these are, these are symbols of the enemy of God and the enemy of your soul as well. And he is coming against us. All along this series, we've talked about how the enemy comes against us. He comes against us like a giant, and then David faces the giant. He comes against us like an enemy army, and Jonathan and Gideon face the enemy army. He comes against us like a lion's den, seeking to devour us. But friends, you need to understand that because of Christ in you, you can trample on the enemy of God. Because of Christ in you, we can tread upon his schemes. Now, we can walk unscathed over his temptations. That is the promise of Scripture. And it's very real, and it's very personal, and it's very universal for us to apply into our lives. In fact, here's a great verse I'd love to, for you to carry with you this week. 1 John 4.4, 4, it says, You are of God, little children, those of us who are in Christ. You have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The enemy is in the world. Christ is in you. And he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's go ahead and go to Daniel 6.24. It says, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. I find this overkill. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den, actually proving that the lions were, in fact, functional, okay? That they actually could fulfill the purpose for which they were in the den to fulfill. And uh, I think they might have been a little extra hungry uh, now because they had spent all night with Daniel, not able to feast. And, and here they have um, a, a sort of a royal, um, you know. <laughs> Daniel 6.25, it says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Who did he miss? Not, not too many. Every race, every nation, every language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. These are true statements, by the way. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of of the lions, and friends, by implication, we realize he rescues us as well. Now, I want you to see how powerful this is that a pagan god, or a pagan king, rather, who serves pagan gods and foreign gods has now humbled himself. The man who was pretending to be a god a couple of days ago 
is now saying everyone needs to bow the knee to the one true God. And you, and you see the impact of Daniel's perseverance, not only on this king, but now on his kingdom. You don't know the implications of your faithfulness. You never will, probably, not in this lifetime. You don't know who else is watching you. You don't know where it is that God wants the dominoes to fall. We just don't have the wisdom to see. But you need to understand that your perseverance matters. Your faithfulness, God sees. And God wants to use that not only to impact a life, but to impact many. And that's what's happening in Daniel's life. We finish it with this verse. It says, so Daniel prospered. You might want to circle that word. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This idea of prospering, prosperity, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting concept and it, it's, it's somewhat controversial. Uh, many different people have many different takes on this. Pastors, teachers, theologians, a lot of different things said about this idea of prosperity. So just, I want to ask you a question and you just sort of let it sit. Does God desire his children to prosper? Is, is God a, a, a good God? Is, is, is he a gracious and loving father that he desires his children to prosper? And, and I think that kind of question, you search the scriptures, you just realize that is his heart for his children. Absolutely. He, he loves us. He desires us to prosper. But it really does depend on how you define prosperity. Because if you define it as, that means that he doesn't, allow anything bad to happen to us at any time, never, then I, I don't think you can define it that way. And if, if you mean that only good things will happen to you always, well, I don't think that's what prosperity means either. I think what prosperity means is no matter what is happening in your life, when you persevere, there is a prosperity that comes so that even if you happen to get thrown into a den of lions, you can prosper even there that he loves you and he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he who is within you is greater than he who is within the world. And no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, you can prosper. With him, you are stronger than you think. And again, we go back to Paul. I keep going, Daniel in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament, because Paul learned how to prosper. He learned how to persevere, and with his perseverance, the Lord linked prosperity. And so we see this in Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. He learned how to, to abound. He learned how to be brought low. That means great things are happening. That means difficult things are happening. That means I'm on top of the world and everybody loves me. That means the whole city's picked up rocks. They want to throw them at my head, right? He learned how to prosper no matter what was happening in his life. And that, friends, is the prosperity that we see with God for his children. This is why I can say without any hesitation whatsoever, friends, you are stronger than you think. I don't know what you're facing this week. I don't, I, I don't know what it is that's happened. I don't know what people are saying about you. I don't know where the difficulty is, what the trial looks like in your life. You, you know what all these things are. 
And so I simply ask today that what you would do is, is you would offer that situation to the Lord. Lord, this is my lion's den. This is where I feel like on my own, I'm gonna get ripped to shreds. And would you help me prosper even in the midst of this scenario as I persevere in you? Why don't we pray together right now? Jesus, I've mentioned that I don't know what each and every one of us are facing, but the reality is that you do. You know exactly what our circumstance is. You know what our, what our wrestle match is. You know where our temptation is and our trial. You know where our difficulty is. You know where our scarcity is. You know where our mentality is sabotaging us. You know where our actions are tripping us up. And so, Lord Jesus, in all of these situations, whether it be with our finances or in our relationships, whether it be with loving a difficult person or thwarting laziness, the, uh, the, trying to overcome this temptation to settle for mediocrity. Lord, whatever it is that, that we're facing in this day, we ask that you would help us, that you'd pour your courage into us and show us that you're with us. And because you're with us, he who is within us is greater than he who is within the world. And so, Lord Jesus, we just claim this idea of we're, we're going to prosper through this because, Lord Jesus, we're gonna persevere. We choose to persevere in you. We choose to be faithful. We choose to keep showing up. We choose to keep loving. We choose to keep worshiping. And Jesus, we, we trust that you will be with us, that as we persevere, you will bring the prosperity. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen. 